May the walls of this house be strong in the face of storms, whether of winds or of words, whether of thunder or of tyranny. May the windows of this house be clear to the world's light, whether of dawns or of daring, whether of sunsets or of stillness. May the foundations of this house be firm upon the good earth, whether of soil or of sharing, whether of bedrock or of behavior. May the doors of this house be wide to all that come from afar, whether poems or people, whether songs or strangers. May this house embrace like a graceful chalice, the flame it cannot define or limit, as a heart enshrines hopes larger than its beating walls. And today, may this house, this community, this sacred space, may it reach out beyond the limitations of time and space to include all those who join us this morning online. You're very welcome. And, or, or maybe those who will be making a connection with us sometime in the future, be that on video or by reading this script, perhaps. We're living in an age where we're creating new ways to connect. And I welcome you all to this multifaceted gathering of Kensington Unitarians. And for those of you I've not met before, my name's Sarah Tinker. I retired as a minister with this congregation this time last year, and I appreciate these opportunities to stay in connection. You probably know that the congregation's intention is to offer hybrid services so people can worship here in person or online, and in future people at home will be able to speak to us and we here will be able to see and hear all of you. But the wiring, oh my goodness, the wiring for interactive services like that, it still needs a bit of work. You've been hearing this for a few months now. Um, I'm not going to blame our beautiful but quirky building and lacks of, lack of plugs, et cetera, et cetera. So for now, we're simply streaming this service. But if you are with us on Zoom today, be assured that Maria is your host and that there'll be chance at the end of the online service for you to have a coffee and uh, chat virtually online. And let me thank all of you, all of you here in person for doing all that you can to keep one another safe in this ongoing time of pandemic by wearing masks and by keeping a social distance from one another. And that's quite enough of all of that. Let's take a moment now. Let's take a breath. Let's pause a while. Let's bring all of ourselves to the here and now, whenever that may be. Let's breathe into this moment of worship here and now. We can create this as sacred space by our intention and by our presence. And as we breathe out at any time in this service, we can release perhaps some of life's tensions and irritations as best we can, especially any of your worries that it is so human to carry around with us. So let's lay them to one side if we can, at least for a while. 
so that we might fully experience this opportunity to be together. So I like this, our chalice flame. It's connecting us with progressive, Unitarian and Unitarian Universalist communities the world over. It's light reminding us of brave souls in times now long past who fought for the freedoms we now enjoy, to worship as we wish, and to hold our own varied beliefs of faith, part of a proud, dissenting tradition of nonconformity. And may this shared chalice flame, may this one symbolic flame seen here in Essex Church and by all of those with us online, may it bring together symbolically the varied elements of our community, Kensington Unitarians together in person and online, one community, one congregation. Come on, John, come and take a seat. <laughs> and as I look at the um, order of service now, um, I see that we've got a shared reading. This is, I'm going to um, request that you just keep your mask on, I think, for, for in interest of keeping us all safe. So apologies if it feels uncomfortable to read the bits in italic. Uh, only join in if you want to, but I'll say the the straight letters and um, please join in with those italics. And this is um, it's written by Unitarian Universalist Minister Scott Alexander some time ago now. And um, it's we need a religion that dot dot dot. In a world with so much hatred and violence. We need a religion that proclaims the inherent worth and dignity of every person. In a world with so much brutality and fear, we need a religion that seeks justice, equity, and compassion in human relation. In a world with so many persons abused and neglected, we need a religion that calls us to accept one another and encourage one another to spiritual growth. In a world with so much tyranny and oppression, we need a religion that affirms the right and conscience and the use of the democratic process. In a world with so much inequity and strife, we need a religion that strives toward the goal of world community with peace, liberty and justice for all. In a world with so much environmental degradation, we need a religion that advocates respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are part. In a world with so much uncertainty and despair, we need a religion that teaches our hearts to hope and our hands to care. In a world where so many people yearn for connection, yearn for acceptance, yearn for justice, we need religious communities like ours 
to welcome people in, to offer a place to belong, and to encourage us to be our true selves and to work always for the greater good of all. And so may this be. Thank you. Thank you all. So would you join me now in a time of reflection and prayer? You might want to take a moment to adjust your position, to, to ready yourself for a time of focusing within. Taking this opportunity to align ourselves, align ourselves with our inner light. align ourselves with our greater community and align ourselves with that which we hold to be of greatest worth. Let us pray. Though we may stumble with the very idea of offering our thoughts to that which is unknown and nameless, let us pray this day to all that is wise and true both within us and beyond, that we might find that wisdom for ourselves. And so align ourselves once more with that which manifests the greatest good of all. Or may we who are free to follow the promptings of our own hearts and minds in matters of faith, may we give thanks for our freedoms won by the struggles of our forebears in generations past, their courage in fighting for what they knew to be right. It's bequeathed to us a precious legacy of religious freedom, religious freedom that many in our world can only long for. So in a few moments of stillness, I invite you, if you so wish, to think in appreciation of the freedoms you enjoy. Now let us pray for all those who are not free in this world. Those who must hide their faith, hide their sexuality, hide their yearning for education. Let's recommit ourselves to working towards freedom for all. In a world that can at times seem overwhelmed by human difficulties, may each of us find ways to rise beyond the struggles of our time, from time to time to see a bigger picture. Let us help one another to rediscover wellsprings of hope and possibility our sources of inspiration, courage, joy. And in the week that lies ahead, may each of us find time to appreciate the small, 
unfolding moments of the everyday life. The quiet kindness of others, the flutter and chirping of small birds intent on living. Those precious moments when we realize that there is more to this life than, than we can ever know. That great mystery of existence and of awareness that calls us forward on life's journey. Let us remember that nobody need travel alone and that our church community provides companionship, however rocky the path may at times be. Our care for one another expresses our true humanity and may that always be so this day and all days. And to this aspiration, let us say together, if we so wish, Amen. Amen. So may it be. Theophilus, Lindsay, and his bag of halfpennies, half pennies, halfpennies. This, this story comes from the Reverend Derek Smith, one-time minister of the Mansfield Unitarian Congregation. And it tells of Theophilus Lindsay. I'm learning about him in my course, who was the founder of our Essex Church Congregation which was the very first Unitarian congregation named openly as such here in England. Opening Essex Church in 1774 was a daring act against laws, against, since laws at that time against blasphemy made it illegal to speak in public about Unitarian beliefs. And that was only changed in 1813 by the Trinity Act. So back in 1772, a discouraged Theophilus Lindsay was about to return from London to his Anglican church in Catterick in Yorkshire. He had been part of a campaigning group called the Feathers Tavern Petition. Lindsay and his friends had campaigned against the requirement for anyone graduating from Oxford or Cambridge universities, or those becoming an Anglican priest to subscribe to the 39 articles, the Church of England's statement of faith. The petition failed, but before leaving London, Lindsay had visited the Royal Mint, and there he collected a big bag of new halfpennies. On his return to his parish in Catterick in Yorkshire, Theophilus and Hannah, his wife, gave the halfpennies to the children in their church to encourage them to be inoculated against smallpox. Hannah Lindsay is described in a book called Memorable Unitarians, published in 1906. Mr. Lindsay always bears testimony 
that his wife was a woman of no common mind and no common moral courage. My greatest comfort and support under God is my wife, said Lindsay, who is a Christian indeed and worthy of a better fate in worldly things than we have prospect for. Theophilus clearly thought he was about to lose, lose his livelihood. The Anglican Church would not long tolerate a minister who spoke against the doctrine of the Trinity. Yet he and Hannah kept working to improve social conditions in their northern village. Emily Sharp wrote in her pamphlet, Four Unitarian Lives, about Hannah and Theophilus's work amongst the poor of their parish. The preparation that Mr. and Mrs. Lindsay were making for this coming event, his resignation, did not, however, prevent them from continuing the usual works of kindness and charity in the parish. Perhaps it rather quickened their zeal, and as the smallpox had been very fatal around them, they had during this last year the additional expense of inoculating all the children of the poor in their own large village and in the neighboring hamlets. On most of these, Mrs. Lindsay attended in person, gave them their medicines, and was so successful that she did not lose a single patient. It's intriguing to think of a minister of religion helping to vaccinate, because that's what they were doing, vaccinate children, and even covering all the costs. But apparently quite a few of the early Unitarian ministers were also scientists and were at the forefront of the scientific experiments and advances of their day. Thank you for reading that, John. I thought it needed a medic. So we're moving into the meditative time of this service now. Um, and on the order of service, you'll perhaps notice that this is called Pride and Disappointment, Welcome to the Real World. Um, it, some of you know that I'm part of the interview panel that meets prospective candidates for Unitarian ministry. And we've just been in Oxford um, for these annual interviews. If you're thinking of applying, any of you, one of the questions that we always ask is, hmm, now do tell me, in what ways have you been disappointed by our Unitarian movement? And the thing is that most candidates are they're full of the positives that they want to tell us about Unitarianism. They're keen, they're enthusiastic. They often tell with pride stories of their congregation's founders, just as we heard the story of Theophilus Lindsay just then and his work to protect the youngsters of his village from smallpox and his bravery in, in standing up against the church rules of his time. But I always think it's a sign of a healthy relationship, be that within a friendship or a religion, if we can honestly speak of our disappointments as well as our pride. 
once the uh, rose-tinted specks have been removed, there's a chance for us to relate, really relate. He might say that disappointment is a sign that we're in the real world. Not that we have to get stuck on being disappointed, simply that it's part of any rounded human relational experience. Disappointments that are clearly faced, then perhaps can be moved on from. So our time of meditation simply asks us if there are any disappointments in life that we feel ready to acknowledge, ready to face. And as in any Unitarian activity, there is a pass option. Your own ideas and thoughts are far more useful than mine. So feel free to focus on what matters most to you today. But let's ready ourselves now for a good, um, good three minutes of silence together. And then that silence will end with some beautiful music, Bach's Arioso played by Abby and Peter. So let's find a comfortable position. Have a wriggle and a stretch if that helps you to settle. You might like to take one of those comforting breaths that go deep down into the belly. And enjoy that feeling when you're releasing the breath of perhaps the shoulders relaxing and lowering downwards away from our ears, our spines gently straightening, our feet anchoring us to, to the floor, and also to our planet Earth home deep beneath us. Gravity holding us in our seats as we soften our gaze or close our eyes, focus on a candle. Our attention turning inwards, allowing our out breath to lengthen, not pushing or forcing the breath not even bothering with the breath if that doesn't suit us, just simply letting everything be, allowing ourselves space just to be. And as we enter the fellowship of shared silence together, I invite you only if you wish to consider some of life's disappointments that you might want to face this day.
so beautiful thank you i could listen to that for the rest of the day in fact that might be a good alternative to this bit from me it says here some thoughts on why unitarian question mark well i cannot tell you the number of times that i've been asked to explain this name unitarian i, I reckon it will have happened to you too it, it is one of the pains, though, of being a minister. Now, doctor friends tell me how utterly grim it is to be cornered at a party by someone who wants advice about their grandson's barukas. But their pain is frankly nothing to the pain experienced by a minister trapped in conversation. A conversation with somebody who appears to be interested in religion, but only then reveals themselves to be a rabid and militant atheist, which is quite a popular faith position in our society at the present, I'd say, from bitter experience. Now, personally, I'm ever so fond of our movement's Unitarian name. And if I'm asked, why the name Unitarian, I tend to do a less polished version of the quote, which is on the front of today's order of service from the ever eloquent Cliff Reed, who writes that the historic Unitarian affirmation, God is one, is what gave our movement its name. Today, this stress on divine unity, it's broadened. Now Unitarians also affirm humanity is one, the world is one. The interdependent web of life is one. What do you think? Oneness, it sounds good to me. So if I can get away with that explanation of our Unitarian name, well, I'm happy. Unitarianism encompasses the oneness of being, the oneness of everything. Oh, but my pain is magnified if my interrogator knows a bit of theology. Because, of course, Unitarianism developed in response to Trinitarianism, the Christian doctrine of God in three beings, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I honor this doctrine. I know how much it means to some people, but it just doesn't evoke strong feelings in me one way or another. In this day and age, you'll find some of us Unitarians rather like the Holy Spirit. But we don't want to be renamed Duoitarians. Thank you very much. For us to be a non-creedal religion, which really is one of the key features of Unitarianism, we do not have to subscribe to shared and specific beliefs in order to belong here. Yet our very name is a description of a faith position. Now, surely that is a sign of a God with a wicked sense of humor. And there'll be people here today, loyal members of Essex Church, perhaps, regular readers of our website, maybe, who do not call themselves Unitarian. And that is your choice. There are so many ways to belong in our world, aren't there? And taking on a name, well, that's only one sign of belonging. Personally, I value other signs like showing up for services on a Sunday morning or, and being an active volunteer. And yet there is something in a name, isn't there? Something to do with identity. So I do encourage people to own our movement and make it their own. 
one way to do that is to find out more about Unitarian history. Tell those proud stories of Theophilus Lindsay and, and Hannah Lindsay and their work to ease suffering caused by smallpox. I do encourage people to get a sense of the diversity of our worldwide movement, spanning from the Kazi Hills in northern India to Transylvania and Hungary to the North Americas. It is intriguing if you ever get the chance to explore what connects such really quite diverse faith traditions, because there is a tangible connection there. And I do encourage us to visit other congregations here in Britain. And it's so much easier to do that now that we can watch and listen to services online. Again, you'll find a great variety of faith expression and activities. But in most Unitarian settings, you'll find an emphasis on the right of each and every one of us to explore our faith and beliefs in our own way and an emphasis on the unfolding nature of belief. A Unitarian faith is not static, but evolving. You'll find an encouragement to put faith into action, to express our beliefs in our values that then shape our behaviors out there in the world. Now, a classic ministry student essay title is, can you be a Unitarian on your own? And um, it still makes me smile because again, it's in the name, Unitarian. Over the years, I've had so many fascinating conversations with people in our church about our beliefs, so varied, so ever-developing. And it's clear that many of us were having these kind of curious thoughts long before we found Unitarianism. I don't know if that relates to you, but I think we attract people who are thinking about spiritual matters. So yes, the short answer is, from me anyway, you can be a Unitarian on your own. And the long answer starts with a but. Yes, you can be a Unitarian on your own, but you get more out of it by being in community with others. It's good to belong. We humans, we're so... We're social creatures, aren't we? And we yearn to be with like souls, people on a similar path to ours. And in a community like Essex Church, you'll find like souls and surprise, surprise, you'll also find challenge, healthy challenge. The challenge that comes from any kind of belonging in a real world. Our meditation earlier on, it explored our disappointments. Church is a great place to get to be real if you stick around long enough and be prepared to weather the storms. So my encouragement to all of us this January is to stick around and to learn more about Unitarianism. I was delighted to hear, Jane, that I think you have 35 or more people. It's remarkable, isn't it? 35 people or more on an online course called How to Be a Unitarian at the present. And at the end of each session, there are some take-home messages. And maybe, Jane, we could start having those in the weekly email, I was thinking, because I love the final one this week, which was, Unitarianism is full of contradictions, with an exclamation mark and it goes on to explain that as individuals and as a denomination we can be both rational and intuitive humanistic and theistic scientific and mystical and we generally find it healthy to hold all of this in balance 
Unitarianism is full of contradictions. Life is full of contradictions. Humanity, full of contradictions. So here's my final contradiction, which came to me when I was reading the annual January news articles about this being the gloomiest time of year. Um, yeah, apparently we should all check out how we're doing tomorrow, because that really is the gloomiest of the gloomiest. Church gives us a community, a place to belong. Social connection is a renownedly good way to banish the blues. Reaching out to others, expressing our thoughts and needs, being there as a listening for others as they speak out. Yet taking a spiritual approach to life, I think strengthens something else in us as well as our sociability. I think it strengthens those inner resources that will help us get through the tough times, the times that we sometimes have to get through on our own. So why Unitarian? It's a community with spiritual depth that encourages each and every one of us to live our lives as best as we are able. And it's real, flawed, at times very disappointing, but real, just like each of us. Amen. And there are plenty of announcements on the back of today's order of service, um, starting with a walk, a chance to walk and talk this afternoon, led by uh, Pat and friends. Um, just Pat's over there, she'll make herself known. So you let her know that you want to come along. Nice way to make a connection with people. Um, heart and soul, if you've not attended one of our contemplative gatherings, they are really worth attending. Every Sunday and Friday evenings at seven o'clock, and there are spaces to join Jane's heart and soul group on um, this evening and next Friday. And the theme is in the night. Lovely theme. That's an hour and a half of, of exploring the theme and, and praying together in a gently structured way. Then there's the coffee morning on Zoom at Tuesday, 10.30, scintillating conversation each and every week. There's a Zoom service next Sunday um, when Jane's going to be revealing all about excess baggage. And uh, then the uh, make a note of this uh, date, Tuesday the 1st of February in the evening, the West London Green Spirit Group will be having their Imolk gathering, which is an early spring festival, lovely festival, that one. And we'll be back here on Sunday the 13th of February for our monthly in-person gathering. And if anybody wants to know more about the Festival of Unitarianism in the Southeast, uh, then have a chat. I've got a leaflet about it. That's coming up soon. I don't know if there's anything anybody else wants to tell us about. Um, oh, I just wanted to mention that perhaps not everybody knows that Jenny, our living warden, is going to be leaving after 16 years working here. So the post is currently being advertised. And um, if you know anybody who might be interested in that, uh, do let them know. There's still a chance for you to sign Jenny's card or make a donation to the collection that's being uh, gathered for her leaving gift. And our leaving music is um, today's a Quaker hymn, which was chosen in Jenny's honour, a little way to wish her well for her next steps. You'll recognise it when it's played. Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free.
And finally, a really big thank you to everyone who's made a donation recently or who has set up a standing order. It is heartening to see the number of those donations gently going up. So it gives staff and volunteers a bit of a boost. So thank you. And let us ready ourselves for our closing blessing and then our closing music. I have, I have extinguished our chalice flame, but not the warmth of this community. And may it travel with all of you in the week ahead. And that idea is echoed in these closing words that are written by Andrew Pakula, minister with our New Unity Congregation in Newington Green. As we prepare to leave this sacred space, Pack away a piece of this church in your heart. Wrap it carefully like a precious gem. Carry it with you through the joys and the sorrows of your days. Let its gentle glow strengthen you, warm you, remind you of all that is good and true until we gather here again in this community of love. May this gathering this sacred sanctuary of the heart, go with us all and work with us tirelessly to build a world where all people know freedom, freedom to be themselves in all their glory. Amen. Go well and blessed be.